Almighty God, now that we come to your word, we pray that it truly is from your heart and mind, transmitted directly to our hearts and minds, so that we might be made new and better and more holy in your sight. For your sake, we pray. Amen. So today I'm not going to begin with scripture, but actually with a little poem. Because today we begin our journey through the Bible in 90 days. I supposed I knew my Bible, reading piecemeal, hit or miss. Now a bit of John or Matthew, now a snatch of Genesis. You who treat the crown of writings as you treat no other book, just a paragraph disjointed, just a crude, impatient look. Try a worthier procedure. Try a broad and steady view. You will kneel in very rapture when you read the Bible through. And that was called Read the Bible Through by Amos Russell Wells. And I couldn't agree with him more. The reason that I have led you to this day to begin reading the Bible as an entire congregation, even with members of the community outside of Shiloh, is because I believe it is so important. I would even say to the parents of newly baptized youngsters that, no, I don't think you would do well to read them the scripture out loud every day, you know, and so, but what I would recommend is that you become that familiar with the Bible, that you read the entire book, and then as you guide your little ones through life, you're informed by the greater purpose of God that is revealed in scripture. And as the poem says, there are too many things that we take out of context or don't associate with each other when we read bits and pieces of the Bible. Rather, we get more out of the Bible when we read the entirety of it and understand God, the big picture, God's greater purpose in scripture, and then read the parts. And this is how those stories our children will learn in Sunday school class coalesce and turn into something that is a broader understanding of who God is and what God's plan is. Because as surely as we live and breathe, we will also die. As surely as we live and breathe, we will encounter difficulty in life and suffering. And what we know about God will have everything to do with how we experience those things. And we can either have greater faith and to see our lives in an eternal perspective, or we can find ourselves doubting God because we have this piecemeal understanding of who God is. So reading the entire Bible through is the first thing we want to talk about today. What stops most people from reading the entire Bible? I think the answers are pretty universal. A lot of people would say they just don't read much because reading makes them sleepy and they fall, they fall asleep while they try to read books. Some people find that reading books requires too much concentration and, and we all have a little bit of ADHD in us and we just can't help ourselves. We get sidetracked and distracted when we're reading. Some people, like my bride, for example, have the capacity to immerse themselves in the book so that they don't even know what's going on around them. I've never been one of those people myself and it's made me suffer in my studies years past, but you know, I got through it by finding a way to absorb what I needed to within my nature, within my personality. Some people say they don't read the Bible because there are words in there that are too hard to pronounce. It's true, there are some big and weird words in there. Some people say they don't read the entire Bible through because parts of it are just weird. 
And, and they'd rather not associate themselves with the weird parts because they might find themselves confused, maybe even doubting scripture's validity because there's certain parts that don't make sense. But my argument against that would be, well, actually reading the entire Bible through helps to make sense of the parts that don't make sense. It's when you take those out of context and when, it's ta when you take those outside of a greater understanding of who God is that you find yourself suffering from this weirdness factor that you talk about. As far as the big words, I'm gonna tell you a little secret, especially suited to B90, the Bible in 90 days. You have permission. You can say, Pastor Dan told you so. If you come to a name or a word that seems too hard to pronounce, you may go, it's good they were not transcribing this. They wouldn't know how to spell that, right? I mean, it's perfectly okay when you're trying to get through the Bible and you find a word that's too big for you to just go, okay, you have my permission. If you're daring and brave and courageous and you want to try something really outrageous, go ahead and try to pronounce it anyway. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I mean, really. And here's the real secret that I want you to know. Your Bible was translated into English by people who didn't really know how to pronounce those words either. So what they did was they wrote them phonetically in a way that they thought was probably the correct pronunciation. In other words, some of you have last names that if I don't ask you how to pronounce it, I'm gonna say it wrong, right? Some of you have first names like that, I suppose. But, but if you do have a name or, or uh, some word that's associated with you that's difficult for people to pronounce, you give them a way out, don't you? You say, that's all right. You can just call me Bob, you know, right? So this is exactly what scripture does. The writers uh, who translated it into English wrote it phonetically so that you could pronounce the word the best that you can. And so just try. It'll be fun you do this together with others, which is the next thing that we really need to talk about, then in so doing, you can have fun in your small group gatherings, for example, saying, okay, so how many of you figured out how to pronounce this, right? And then you can have a big game to see if anybody came close and if anybody came up with something really funny, right? I remember reading a book once where the villain was a guy named Henri Villon. Well, I don't speak French. In fact, it hurts my throat to try to speak French. But what I noticed was is that I got in the habit, since he was the bad guy in the book after all, I just decided I'd call him Henry Villain because after all, that's what it looked like on the page and it was easier to say that. So you have permission to do that too. Just work through it. There's a big picture that you're trying to absorb. So the other thing I wanna say about this reading the Bible in 90 days, why people could read the Bible if they really set their minds to it, is that there's never been an easier time. Do you know that the scriptures really started as an oral history anyway? The Bible started as an oral history. It means, and this is why I was referring to the parents of the newborns and so forth, is it, it started as people in their homes without TV and internet and all those other forms of entertainment telling the stories. There's a fascinating study it suggests that maybe before the constellations in the heavens were given Greek and Roman identities that they actually had Jewish origins and those constellation stories correlate with the Bible. And that's a really interesting study, but let's just suppose that you're camped out 
in your Bedouin encampment in the middle of a dark night on the desert and you look up to stars and you tell the children the stories about the walk with God that your people have been on for so long, for example. It's an oral history. And what's really amazing is that things have come full circle because it is today as well. Most people, if they're honest, would admit that the best Bible reading that they do, the most frequent Bible reading that they do, is when they go to church on Sunday and the pastor or somebody stands up front and reads it to them. Most of you could say, honestly, that you absorb more scripture on Sunday morning than you do any other day of the week because it's read to you. I think that's why it's important for those of us who do the reading to do it as skillfully as we can to uh, you know, help you really hear the word as it's written. But uh, the reality is, is that these days you can listen to scripture in so many ways. You can get it free on the radio. You can get it free online. You can get it free through audio apps, uh, audiobook apps, for example. You can buy it. You can get CDs. You can get cassettes if you still have a cassette player. You do you can listen to scripture while you're doing other things because this is when I do the best absorbing of things myself is when I'm working on other tasks, I'm listening to audiobooks, I'm listening to uh, podcasts that inform me, I'm listening to scripture, I'm listening to all sorts of things. And I do this while I'm mowing the grass, I do it when I'm driving back and forth to work. Whenever I'm engaged in something where I could be listening, I am listening. And I find that I absorb those things really well. There are free podcasts out there where they do nothing but read you scripture every day. The you version of the Bible that you can get, that app on your Bible, uh, on your smartphone, will read you scripture in keeping with the Bible in 90 days schedule. They actually have a schedule in there, it's called B90. So we really don't have many excuses if we really think about it for not absorbing the entire word of God. And what's the purpose in it? Why read the entire Bible? Well, I know for a fact, and I think many of you do too, that reading the Bible daily really awakens your spirit. That there is power in the word, and, and I'm not a superstitious person, so I'm not gonna tell you that this book in itself is somehow you know, enhanced spiritually, but the word of God is a living word. And when you read it, especially out loud, the spirit shows up. I don't understand how it works. Some of you have heard me tell the story about a man who, who was the first person that I ever presided over their funeral, and he died in prison serving a life sentence for murder back in the 1960s, but he was a committed Christian for the last 40 years of his life because a Gideon's Bible was placed in his cell and he started reading it. Somehow the power of God's word transformed a person's nature. And it didn't require a preacher, a scholar, a class, a small group or anything, though I suspect those things came in his life as time permitted. But the fact is that reading the Bible daily will change your nature. It will cause you to experience the presence of God in a profound way. It is a living word and it's meant to be spoken. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a speed reader. I, I read at the same speed that I would do it out loud. So whether I'm silent or 
verbalizing it, I still read at the same pace. So if I'm reading scripture, I read it out loud. I can tell you for a fact that there's power in that. God supplies the Holy Spirit when you're hearing and receiving the word. And for whatever reason, all we have to do is open our minds to that potentiality. So I told you earlier that some people fear the big words and the strange places in scripture, but if the Holy Spirit is helping you and informing you as you read, you will not necessarily have a Bible scholar's understanding of these things, but what you will possess is a peace with what you're reading and a willingness to see it as part of a greater picture and the Spirit will provide you with that patience and endurance. That's why it's really important that while you're doing this B90 journey, and in particular, while you're reading scripture daily, that you pray before you start and pray after you're finished. And if you get a little stuck in the middle, stop and pray. And the prayers don't have to be elaborate. They just, Lord, I'm starting to lose my focus here. Lord, this part sounds really weird, you know, and the Lord will say, okay, I got you. I got your back. You're gonna be all right. I'll see you through this. What happens when you read the entire Bible is you begin to get the master plan of God. And I'm gonna show you how that works here in a minute because you begin to realize that what is true in the beginning is true in the end, that God is consistent throughout the Bible, that God never changes, that the people change and they wax and wane as technology changes and as their tastes and their interests change and, and, and as evil becomes more influential at times, less influential at other times, God remains the same yesterday, today, and always. And scripture from the beginning to the end will affirm that for you. Every book of the Bible reveals the kingdom of Christ. And we're gonna see how that happens as we go through this on Sunday mornings and in your small groups and in your private reading. I've even given you a little cheat sheet that you can get at the orientation after today's service that will show you what to look for in each of the Bible sections because it is said, and I believe it is true, that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. And what you really grasp, and I think this is the most amazing part, is that by the Spirit's presence, by the, the, the living nature of the Word of God, you fall in love with this person because it is a letter of love from God to all the people who would be God's children, God's family, even Christ's bride. You know, there've been movies made about people who discovered a box full of letters. It sounds just like a Hallmark thing, right? You find a box full of letters in the attic and you fall in love with people who have long passed and their letters of love were found afterwards and you fell for it. You know, you, you, you got absorbed in it because you were watching the movie as the characters got absorbed in it. We can honestly get acquainted with people who leave us a legacy of a written word and so fall in love with them. And this is what happens with the living God in the reading of the living word. And you will see that as you read through scripture together. The best part about reading the Bible in 90 days and as a family of faith here at Shiloh and in the greater community is that you will build relationships with others who are hearing the voice of God. And you'll begin to grasp the real meaning of family, family of God even, as we've defined it here in the life of this church. 
But now let's do some Bible study together and we'll look at a quick example to help us see what happens. I'm gonna give you a head start. Tomorrow is the first day of reading. There's always a Sabbath day or a Sunday is always a day of rest in your Bible reading and uh, reflections. So there will be a message each Sunday during the 90 days that will go along with what you are reading and uh, about to read and then you'll have a day of reflection and then on Monday, you begin in earnest. So I'm gonna give you a head start. We're gonna read from the book of Genesis. Now I'm gonna jump around a little bit just to help you to get the point here of how we see God's purpose, God's universal entire purpose in reading scripture. First of all, in Genesis one, you, you're familiar with these words, in the beginning, God. Well, let's just start with that. In the beginning, God. That means the Bible is informing us that before there was a beginning, there was a God. God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Some suggest that that's an indication that God created and then some things happened between verse one and verse two. In any case, the world is in chaos and God Let's just read further before I start talking too much. There was darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So the spirit of God is present. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. And God called the day, the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and morning on the first day. And there is God bringing order to the chaos. There was chaos and then God spoke and order starts to happen. You see that from the very first verses of the Bible. Then God said, let there be an expanse amidst the waters and let's separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was. And God called the expanse heaven and there was heaven or there was evening and there was morning on the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was good. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. Here's the one I want you to really hear. And God saw that it was good. Now that phrase, it was good, will repeat over and over again in the creative process. What God created is good. He brought order to the chaos and it was good. By God's definition, it was good. And so we read through the scripture, we realize that everything God makes, everything God created was made good. Or to use the churchy word, sanctified, holy, and suited to God's presence because Later on, we read that God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Um, in the ancient text, Adam is not so much a personal name, but a word that describes humanity. And so what God is saying, let's make humanity in our own image. Notice that God speaks of himself as more than one person. This is the first indication we have of something we call the Trinity. And God said, let us make God, uh, the man in our likeness or make humanity in our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing 
that creeps on the earth. So God created man, humanity, in God's own image. In the image of God, they were created. Male and female, God created them. So what does God look like? Did we get made to look like God physically or does this imply something else? Does God actually have gender? Well, don't get hung up on that. Ask yourself how humanity differs from everything that God has created and how humanity is like everything God created. The answer to the question, to me anyway, is as you know, there's not much difference between humanity and everything else God created, but there is one universal difference. And it's the way we use our heart and mind, our spirits are different. So maybe the way that we're made in God's image is that we are given a spirit like God's that can be eternal, that can be uh, discerning in a way that creatures of other types have no discernment. That becomes more evident as we read further on. So while you're reading scripture, you're asking questions. And this is good because this is exactly what you would do if you were going on a first date with a lovely girl or a handsome young man. You'd, you'd start by asking lots of questions. So where were you born? Really, how many brothers and sisters did you have? And, and so you ask all these questions because this is the getting to know you process. So ask questions of scripture as you read it. Then we jump up to uh, Genesis chapter two. And there is a list of the generations of the uh, heavens and the earth and everything that was created, uh, excuse me, that, were, that was created. So there's sort of a repeat of the, the creation story. And then there's movement from something that is, again, not easily recognized until you ask questions. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. This is really remarkable because if you notice, the scripture already told us that God made male and female in his image, in God's image. That God already created the balance between male and female. But in this particular case, the Adam, the human that was created for companionship with God in a place that God dwelt as well as the people that God created. God says, you know, It's not good for him to be alone. And so he puts the man into a deep sleep. You could call this the eighth day of creation. Read it yourself and you'll see. It's after everything is done and it is good that God decides to create the companion for the man and he does not create the companion the same way he created the man. He creates the companion from the side of the man. He takes a rib from the man and creates the companion. And so in this way, she is a unique being, not like anything else God created, not even the man. This is pretty remarkable when you look at it. And then we move down just a little further and we see the story of the fall. So the man and the woman Remember, this is a unique being, this woman. Too often, scripture has been interpreted to serve human needs like sexism. 
But that's not really what this is saying. And if you'll read with an open heart and mind and let the spirit guide you as you ask these questions, you begin to realize this isn't about maleness or femaleness. This is about a unique being that was created to be the companion of the man. And this unique being was challenged by Satan, the enemy of God, and tempted by Satan, the enemy of God. And so the Genesis chapter three account of the fall basically describes how there was a tree of life in the garden and it was the source of the the creative power of God. It was the place that, that was sort of the central place of God. And, and when you read further in scripture, you realize that tabernacles and temples and even the temple that mirrors heaven in Revelation all have this same quality of this place where God is being the source of all life. And then if you read in Revelation, as those of you who studied it with me will determine, there was on the part of the enemy an offer of a counterfeit in a place called Babylon. So in the book of Revelation, we have the real throne of God, and then we have the counterfeit throne created by Satan, the real temple of God on earth, and we have the counterfeit temple of God on earth created by Satan. And so in the garden, you have a tree of life, and then you have this counterfeit tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see what's going on? It's already started in the beginning of the Bible, and the woman, this case, that unique being that we will find is representative of God's people. The church now was tempted and gave in to the temptation. And then for love of the woman, read this with me. When you start reading tomorrow, see if you see this. For love of the woman, the man says, all right, wherever you go, I go. And so he eats the fruit too. Now, we're Christians going backward in time and reading the Bible from the beginning to the end, some of it for the first time in our lives, but we're still Christians informed by our Christian faith as we read it. So what does this look like to you? Does this not look like Christ who gave birth to his permanent companion, the church, as from his side, the last of his blood drained and the redemption of the people of God occurs and the apostle Paul refers to Christ as the new Adam. Isn't that amazing? And isn't it amazing that in the same way that God protected and redeemed the people, even after they sinned, God redeems and protects the people through Christ. After Adam and Eve sin against God, that is, they decide that they don't trust God's judgment. They believe that the devil may be right, that maybe God has lied to them, that God isn't as good as they were led to believe. They give in to this temptation to doubt God, which turns into more selfishness than anything, because the Bible says that they looked at the fruit of the tree of good and evil, and they said, you know, that looks good. And so they fed their flesh. And so sin is defined in the book of Genesis as feeding the flesh. And that is what we get from there forward. As we read through the entire Bible, we understand that that's the nature of sin. It's selfish serving of the flesh that is the heart of sin. And to redeem them, 
God cast them out of the garden because now God can't share company with them because of sin, but God closed them anyway. And how does God close them? I'm getting to a point here that'll end today's message, but they clothed, God is clothing them with the skins of animals, which means in order to protect them, to cover their sin, something had to die. Something's blood was shed and it was innocent blood. All of this is in the first three or four chapters of the Bible. And what does it look like to you, Christian believer, if not the first example of what the second Adam will do? Through his shed blood, you will be redeemed. Through him, your sin will be covered. Through him, you will have eternal companionship with God that was taken away by sin. You will walk in the cool of the evening in God's presence just as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. When you read this week from the book of Genesis, see if you don't pick up on that. And so this is my point. To say to you that God's divine purpose is revealed in all of scripture and it's right there at the very beginning. Do you know what God says to Satan after he has led the people to sin? He says, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman And by this, he means that unique creation that we would now translate as the church universal. And you will bruise her offspring's heel, but he, her son, the son, will stomp on your head. In other words, in the third chapter of Genesis, we get a description of God's plan of redemption, and it is the son of a woman who will stomp on the head of Satan even while Satan is nipping at his heels. It's all right there. And it will be there every week as you study through the entire Bible. I hope, I hope I've whet your appetite for this. I hope that you feel a little stoked about doing this because I'm telling you, I'm in love with Bible study and the reason is, is because I started, I don't know, 38 years ago <laughs> reading the entire Bible and once I did, my eyes were so open that I, I've been doing it regularly ever since and it just opens the floodgates of God's knowledge, God's heart and mind. And so I urge you to do this. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it on our hearts and change us forever by by the hearing and absorbing of your heart and mind through scripture, we pray. Amen. Amen.